Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Sunday, December 4th, and this is episode number 199. My name is Justin Hewn. I am your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium, finds the best risk-reward investing opportunities in the space, and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Good to be back with you guys again after quite the hiatus. It's been three weeks since I published a Uranium Market Minute episode. Um, I I was out of town traveling on business and with family. Um, I also uh, got sick during traveling, so I didn't do um, episodes for a number of days or about a week after I even returned from that. And then, of course, we had the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States. Um, it has been a relatively quiet period in the markets anyways, um, kind of just chopping sideways. Um, there's been a decent recovery over the past month, month and a half. But still, as the fundamentals continue to stack up in a positive manner, we are still waiting for fund flows to come into the sector and really move. And I do believe that they will. Um, I'm not going to do a scoreboard section because of the amount of time that has passed. Generally speaking, the spot price has been up and then back down. Uh, the movement back down last week was on basically no volume whatsoever. Um, single motivated sellers selling into a quiet market. Not really much there to uh, to look at or to be concerned with. Uh, the ETF flows has been on balance positive in terms of shares issued versus shares redeemed, though uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of shares issued, judging by the uh, the actual uh, uh, issuance of shares by the ETFs and the flows into the ETFs. We haven't seen big volumes to the upside or the downside for that matter. Uh, SPUT has been mostly out of the market over the past three weeks. I do think they did purchase, I don't have the numbers in front of me, 100 or maybe 200,000 pounds over that time period. Um, they haven't issued any shares. They've been trading at a persistent discount to NAV, although that discount to NAV did decline slightly on Friday with the drop in the spot price of uranium. Um, I'm going to talk in the mailbag section about a piece that was put out by my friend Miko Levo. He lives in Finland and the piece is written in Finnish, although you can uh, open that uh, open that blog post in Google Chrome, and that will be translated into your language of choice. You can also copy and paste the entire piece and put it into Google Translate or whatever translator software you uh, might want to use. It's a very well done piece um, covering kind of the basics of what we're looking at for this long thesis um, for uranium at this point in time. Um, before we get into the charts, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I'm going to uh, seek to be more consistent with these weekly episodes. I apologize for the hiatus. Um, it's probably not going to happen that often going into the future. Should be able to pull off a weekly episode. Um, we will be doing our monthly webinar for members. That will be, let's see, that'll be in just about two weeks here, uh, mid-December. And uh, we are going to focus on our outlook for 2023 and everything that we're looking at. Uh, most importantly, we're going to be focusing on the fuel cycle dynamics that is really what is going to dictate pricing going forward. And I'm going to speak very briefly on that today um, in the mailbag section. So on that note, let's look at the charts. All right, let's just start off with URA. Over the past, let's say, two and a half months, we've been grinding higher, generally speaking, within this smaller rising channel, within this larger declining channel. And we've got this sort of battle coming up. If we do move higher in the next week or two, where we're not only going to see, oh, excuse me, not only going to see the top of that uh, shorter term rising channel, but also the top of that longer term declining channel. 
And of course, we've got this, uh, what is this, the 50-week moving average, which is close to the 200-day moving average. We've got this convergence of resistance that we will have to either break through or get rejected again and continue to move down or chop sideways. I think that the markets, generally speaking, will help to dictate that. And of course, besides being uh, relatively pegged to either the movement in oil, the movement in energy stocks, or the movement in the S&P 500. Looking at the S&P compared to URA, we've been basically in a sideways chop for multiple weeks. Actually, it's been multiple months. And almost uh, besides these big swings to the up and down side, we're at the same level here that we were in March of 2021 compared to the S&P. So while we are overall in the early stages of what I believe will be a long-term uptrend for URA compared to the S&P, we continue to kind of move sideways. And now we're in this uh, in this sort of triangle pattern here where we're, we continue to chop as this triangle converges onto this relative chart of the URA compared to S&P. And if we look at even a longer chart uh, time period for this, looking at the monthly chart, you can see just how early we are in this. I mean, you have to basically squish this way down to see. I mean, it was a nonstop underperformance of URA basically since its inception in late 2010. And we are finally now starting to break up and out of this pattern. Let's look at uh, Cameco here. And I'm going to go back to the weekly chart. Uh, Cameco as a sector leader, um, trading just above this trend line. And this trend line over the past uh, two years here, really since the breakout of the sector back in December of 2020, every time we've been at this trend line, it's been a buying opportunity. We will have to see if that plays out for us. Again, I do believe that it will. Moving sideways for the past six weeks after the big sell-off following the uh, deep 15% discount to their trading price uh, raise that they did as part of the Westinghouse acquisition. That acquisition has yet to close, but it highly likely that it will. And I think that Cameco will continue to either chop sideways here or, of course, we'll catch a bid if we see risk come back on into this market. Looking at the SPUT trust, it's brought physical uranium trust, weekly charts. Look at the sandwiching of the 20, uh, the 20 week and the 50 week moving averages. We are still well above a rising 200 week moving average for SPUT, though we have seen this discount to NAV. Uh, strengthened significantly starting about three weeks ago. We are now probably at somewhere around a 6% discount to NAV after the spot price slipped a little bit. Um, this is going way higher. This is essentially pegged to the spot price, even though we do trade at a decent discount to NAV. Um, actually, it's been mostly at a discount to NAV since risk has been off markets for this entire year, with few exceptions. We've had a couple of rallies. We had a strong rally back in April. We had a rally in February. And then we've had one or two or three day rallies here and there since then. And uh, other than that, this uh, even though this does kind of look like a, a head and shoulders pattern that we have broken down from here, this is going to break to the upside. My confidence in this is extremely high because it's essentially following the spot price of uranium. And it's a highly liquid vehicle that we do see larger volumes come into when institutions tend to put risk on in this space due to liquidity requirements for larger players. That volume is still obviously not there. We continue to kind of move sideways volume-wise. A moment is coming where this is going to break out hard to the upside. URNM relative to SPUT. Now, this is a very interesting chart. This uh, has seen a very nice recovery over the past six weeks. Now, this, of course, is being aided. This chart is being aided by 
the discount to NAV. So this big up volume uh, week that we saw about four weeks ago definitely is being aided by <clears throat> spot rolling over here. Okay, so that was kind of here and can continue to roll over in the week following. Either way, this is nice to see some recovery here breaking up and out where this uh, this horizontal line that was kind of the first period of resistance prior to a pullback into the autumn of 2020 before the big breakout. December 2020 was the big breakout for the uranium sector. Now, we were at a, quite a premium to nav at this peak back in November, but this chart is definitely uh, looking more and more constructive and all things considered, I think that the miners are trading very cheaply relative to the metal because if we put sput at let's say sput at nav this chart is really trading back down here so we are recovering off of the lows of the summer and this chart is being helped by that discount to nav for sput either way it's looking constructive all right urnm just straight up very similar chart to ura in this uh, triangle pattern uh, chopping sideways for the past six to eight weeks uh, a moment in time is coming where this is likely to break out we see this 20 week reaching back up towards that 50 week however that 50 week is still declining i like to see the golden crosses of uh, moving averages a shorter term moving average crossing above a longer term move, moving average i only really consider that to be a, a significantly bullish signal when the longer ter term moving average is at least flat if not slightly rising and that is not the case in this uh, for this particular chart at least not on the week let's look at the daily chart of urnm to get maybe a better picture of the short term um, still a big convert. Look how close those moving averages are. All of them, the 20 day, the 50 day, the 200 day. Now, the 200 day is basically flat, slightly declining after trying to recover there. Um, if we see URM break up above the, the 20 and the 50 day, and eventually those moving averages break above that 200 day, then that looks bullish. For now, this is looking pretty neutral to me in terms of where we're at. And of course, trading below a 200 day moving average is not bullish. So we still need to see some volume and some momentum come into all of these charts for this sector. We continue to be mostly risk off. All right, let's talk fundamentals here, mailbag section. So um, I obviously have had a number of questions come into me over the past number of weeks, but rather than address those, because I think they fall in line with what I want to share here. And this is this piece from my friend Miko. Again, he's finished, is written and finished, and I'm going to share that link below in the show notes, in the description below, and I highly suggest that you check that out. Now, something that Miko stated um, in his piece that I think is very, very important to understand. Uh, this is a quote from the piece, and I, I altered it a little bit because the Google Translate was not perfect. The production cost of the last necessary pound determines the equilibrium price. Now, this principle can apply to basically any market of anything that's being sold, right? Um, and right now, what we have in the fuel cycle and for the price of uranium is essentially that as well. So the long-term price for U308 just moved up $2 a pound this past month, as reported by UXC. This is after chopping sideways essentially since March. Even though we have now 112 million pounds signed in long-term contracts this year, finally, we're seeing movement in the long-term price. And as we know, the long-term price that's reported by UXC is the lowest offer, and it's not even volume dictated. So we can have the bulk of the volume of these long-term contracts being signed at higher prices, and if there's one offer for an LTC at a lower price, that's what get re gets reported. And even that is rising. That's the same thing with a, with a spot price. And it's the same thing with you know, equities prices. It's the buying and the selling on the margin that moves the price of equities and moves the price of the stock. So spot price, we have basically 
um, not a lot of volume there buying or selling, and somebody needs to get some pounds off their books, that could be a hundred thousand pounds. They might just keep dropping that ask to try to get somebody to nibble. That's what we saw last week. It's not evidence of a lack of a supply deficit in the market. It's simply evidence of a motivated seller. Okay. So this quote, I'm going to read it again. The production cost of the last necessary pound determines the equilibrium price. Now, a big part of this piece that Mika lays out is uh, laying out the numbers for just the, the phenomenal uh, deficit in supply relative to demand. Now, his numbers are a little, little bit different than mine, but you can kind of get the gist of it. Uh, the, the overall structural demand from uh, nuclear reactors operating the world this year is going to be somewhere around 175 to 180 million pounds of uranium demand, U308 equivalent. Okay, so what are we looking at at supply? 130, maybe 135 million pounds supplied. Probably on the lower side of that, as we're seeing less supply coming out of MacArthur River than they were expecting uh, from Cameco and uh, also from uh, Kazatomprom. So we're probably closer to that 130 million pounds of structural supply from mined uh, uranium this year. So that is already, let's just call it, be conservative, call it a 45 million pound uh, structural supply deficit. Now this in the past has been largely made up by secondary supply, largely coming from enrichers, okay? So the enrichers, not only do they underfeed, but they also re-enrich tails material. And that secondary uh, supply and that underfeeding and tails re-enrichment is certainly still happening, although it's difficult to tell to what extent, in Russia. Those pounds are not coming to the West. Uh, They're only coming to the West in existing legacy contracts. They're not coming to the West, secondary supply being sold into a spot market that the West is buying. There are no uh, new contracts being signed by the West with Russia. Okay, So you can sort of consider Russian underfeeding secondary supply coming from their enrichment facilities as off the table for the West. And remember, the West is 70% of demand. 70% of the reactors in the world exist in the OECD countries. All right, so what is left? That uh, Enrichment in the West, okay? Enrichment in the West, let's call it 40% of global enrichment capacity. Um, so that, relatively speaking, compared to what we had before of around 25 million pounds of secondary supply coming from enrichment underfeeding and tails re-enrichment, now is about 10 million pounds coming to the West, okay? Secondary supply, add that to the 130. Now we got 140 relative to 180. Okay, now what about secondary demand? This year alone, SPUT has purchased 18 million pounds. That's just SPUT. That's not any producer buying that we saw earlier in the year or pre-production companies. That is not other hedge funds or other intermediaries buying in the in the spot market and buying from the market, generally speaking. So now we're talking about closer to 200 plus million pounds of demand, uh, structural and secondary, Compared to 140 million, we're looking at a 60 plus million pound supply deficit in 2022. Okay. Now, does that get lessened in 2023? Yes, it does. Why? Slightly. Um, And this is just a structural snapshot that's primarily coming from MacArthur River coming back online and the stated goals of Kazadam Prom of producing. 10% 10% below their subsoil use agreements rather than 20% starting in 2024. So that's an increase of about 9 million pounds of production coming from Kazadam Prom for the calendar year 2024. That means they'll have to expand their well field significantly in 2023. And some of that production increase we should probably see in 2023. We'll have to see how that goes. That depends a lot on supply chains primarily. So the supply of sulfuric acid, as well as everything is needed to develop those well fields in excess of what they're producing now. That's a lot of work. A lot of uh, increases in, in well field development for Kazatomprom in order to reach that goal in 2024, in 2023. So 
that structural supply deficit lessens slightly, but there's always this wild card. There's this secondary demand wild card that is dictated by markets, okay? And there's no way to model that out. There's no way for us, for the utilities, for the producers, anybody to model out that secondary demand. But it's pretty much a guarantee there will be some secondary demand with an increase in primary demand. Nuclear is growing globally. The demand going forward is going to be greater than it is right now, period, year over year. China is going to see a lot of re reactor starts uh, in 2023 relative to this year. I think there's only been one grid connection, maybe two in China. I think we're going to see another one or two before the year has ended. And they've got, I think, five construction starts this year. So while they're building a lot, it's not quite in line with their stated goals, right? Their stated goals are another 100, 148 uh, uh, gigawatts by 2035. That's almost eight to 10 reactors per year. That is eight to 10 reactors per year for the next 13 years. They need to ramp up to hit that goal. Will they hit that goal? I don't know. So far, it's not looking like they're going to, but their growth is still measurable and massive compared to how any other country is growing, even though there's a dozen countries building nuclear plants right now. All of that is to say that there is going to be a significant supply deficit going out at the end of the decade. There's no new large mines coming online. What new mines are coming online? Basically, new mines, we're looking at Global Atomics DASA, we're looking at uh, potentially some production coming from Mongolia with uh, Urano. That'll be ISR. They're shooting for 2030 production for that project. Uh, Uzbekistan is expanding. That's good. That's not a new mine, but you know maybe we'll get another 8 to 10 million pounds out of Uzbekistan uh, later in the later part of the decade if things go smoothly. And we have, of course, some idle mines. We have MacArthur ramping up, even though they're pulling Cigar Lake down to 13 and a half million pounds starting in 2024. Uh, we still have MacArthur coming back. That's going to be a significant amount of production. We have Langer Heinrich coming back in 2024. We've got uh, Boss's Honeymoon uh, and some other smaller ISR stuff in the States, right? We, uh, that is not, that doesn't even take into account the current mines that are producing that are going to be declining, Okay. Now, Kazanaprom is talking about increasing their production, but they already show their production profile dropped significantly starting in the 2030s. Uh, it's actually starting before that, but the drop-off really, really uh, grows in the 2030s. Cigar Lake is essentially going to be uh, done with production based on their current exploration profile and, and reserves that they've proven out at that deposit by the end of the decade, by 2028 even, okay? So what I'm trying to say is that we're going to need most, if not all, uh, development projects to be producing by the end of the decade. And that means that the pounds on the margin, the higher priced uh, pr production companies, the higher priced development projects are going to be uh, setting the price for uranium if you don't even consider uh, the secondary demand. So if you take SPUT and financial players out and we're just looking at the structural supply and demand that is based on nuclear generation. We're talking about no financial players, no secondary demand here. We're talking about just, just the markets, okay? Just the nuclear market. It's the projects that are on the margin that are going to dictate the price, okay? It's the last pound that's sold, the last pound that's contracted from the highest price producers that dictates the price. So you might say, yeah, because Adam Prom is 40, 40% of, of, or Kazakhstan is 40% of global production. They can, they've got a cash cost in the teens and an all-in cost for Kazadam Prom, let's say 35 to 40 bucks. You know, that's going to set the price. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's very not. Those producers are going to contract out 
the bulk, if not all of their capacity in the next three years. Okay. That's my belief towards the end of the decade, because Adam Prom, Camco, Arano, uh, they're going to contract out most, if not all of their production for the rest of the decade in the next three years, because we are going to see a replacement rate and then some contracting cycle. What does that mean? Replacement rate contracting is all of the demand in a given year, 175 to 185 million pounds. Uh, it's going to be more than that in the next couple of years. So let's say 180, 185 million pounds. We're going to see that number and then some in long-term contracting. Why? Because inventories generally have fallen in the last five years for utilities globally. So what we're going to see is a much higher rate of contracting. And this does not even take into effect that this bulk of demand is in the West and enrichers in the West already have risen their tails assays, their operational tails assays, what they're operating at right now have already risen and their contractual um, transactional tails are also on the rise significantly. So utilities signing, signing an enrichment contract with Arano or the Uranco for 2027 plus at 0.3 tails means they're buying 20% more uranium than they would have bought at 0.18 tails. 20%, if not more, okay? So we're gonna see 180 to 220 million pounds contracted in 2023 plus going out multiple years. That's what we're going to see. And those contracts are going to fill up fast for the existing producers that have big mines that can, that can comfortably contract out at the end of the decade. Those pounds are gonna get spoken for, and then it's the rest of the projects that get to sell the pounds on the margin. That's going to dictate the price. Price of uranium is sitting at 50 bucks right now. It's going way, way higher. I think 100 is conservative at this point. I know that that sounds more bullish than I typically sound. I think it's necessary. That's necessary to not even consider the secondary demand from financial players. And that is also going to happen, okay? At a risk off year in markets. Could that continue? Absolutely, it could. Will there be financial players going after pounds in this market during this bull market? 100, 100%, 1,000%. It's going to happen. Um, we're just in this risk-off market across markets. So that's just how things are now. Okay, what's another point that Miko made I want to get across? Quote, the core of the long uranium thesis has never been the increase in demand. It has been the shortage and the price at which the shortage can be eliminated. But over the years, the demand story has come alongside the deficit as well as a change in sentiment, which does not determine the price of long-term contracts, but affects the possible valuation seen at the company level in a bull market. So yeah, I generally agree. Um, the long thesis originally was the price is 18 bucks a pound. It has to rise. Everybody hates this sector. I'm betting on uh, fewer people hating it. And that was, the, that was the bet in 2016, 2017, even 2018. This has come full circle. This is now a full on bull market for demand. Okay, we're going to see demand growing two, three plus percent per year for the next decade going out and forward. And I have mentioned in previous uranium market minutes, the IEA's uh, World Energy Outlook report they do every year. They are pushing and suggesting and promoting and betting on in order to reach their net zero carbon goals by 2050. They're betting on a more than doubling of nuclear by 2040. That is a phenomenal, that's the largest, that's an absolute nuclear renaissance. And can we say it's happening right now? No, we can't. But we can say that there's 50 plus reactors under construction right now. There's hundreds in the planning and proposals. And uh, it, there's a full on energy crisis. SMRs are, are, are going to be starting to come online towards the later part of the decade. They're breaking ground. 
on the Darlington uh, BWRX 300. They broke ground this past week in Canada. That is huge. Um, this is That is going to start the revolution, in my opinion. Will the revolution happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I do believe that it will because I think that it has to. And this is based on my own personal thoughts that uh, peak cheap oil, we've already probably uh, peaked out in terms, in terms of cheap oil production. And the metals and materials are just not there to expand solar and wind uh, extensively enough to transition off fossil fuels on a global basis. We're just not. They're going to have their niches, um, but you can't operate modern industrial societies off of solar and wind. And why can I say that? Because we have a prime example of that playing out right in front of our eyes in Germany. So to come back to Miko's point, the original thesis was betting on, on just the uranium price recovering based on the demand that was there, uh, not necessarily based on a nuclear renaissance happening and demand drastically growing, which it now is and is set to be. So that's kind of the big bet there. Um, and, and I think this piece from Miko is great. Uh, Miko, if you're watching this, I do appreciate you putting that out there. I hope you're okay with me promoting it and linking to it. I'm sure that you are. That's where I'm going to leave this. There's so much more I could talk about based on the past three weeks, but I feel like I've already rambled on long enough on my soapbox. So I will leave you with this. Hang in there. Be patient. Um, uh, go back to Jesse Livermore, uh, basically saying all the big money he's made in his life has been in the sitting. It's not in the trading. It's in the sitting. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to do nothing. There's nothing to do here. If you're already positioned, just wait, let it play out. If you have short-term needs for your capital and your investments, that's a killer for this market. If you need to be able to have a, an ROI by X date, I mean, assuming this is not five years, right? If you're saying, I got to pull out money in, in, in February because of this or that, um, that's that can create bad trades in this sector. So it's important to allocate money to this sector that you don't have an important need in the short term to pull that money out because the short term is difficult for this sector, as you all know. Um, this is not the first time this has happened where you've, we've seen fundamentals stack up and the market doesn't reflect um, how those fundamentals, uh, how the fundamental news flow is coming in. The stock prices do not reflect that. The action, the markets don't reflect that. This has happened five, six, seven times since I've been following this market. Okay. There's nothing new for me. If you just entered this market in the last 12 months, it's probably new for you, but don't get discouraged. Um, this, this bull market is happening. The energy crisis is not going away. This is going to be a long-term theme. While we have the potential and the high likelihood of a price spike that could be based on fundamental players and speculators, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, of, of financial players and speculators, we have a long-term thesis that could go way, way longer. This could very well be a, a serious uh, super cycle for nuclear, for uranium. So uh, just be patient, hang in there. I do appreciate you watching this. If you are a member, we will see you. Uh, we'll see you on Monday with the uranium market uh, daily updates that I've been doing for members. And of course, also, if you are a member, we will see you in the, in the members webinar, uh, which will be in about two weeks. If you are not a member, you can access three years of content, even with a quarterly uh, membership. And so you can try us on for a small amount of money and uh, see where we're at in terms of our, our holdings, see where we're at in terms of our fundamentals. You can access all of our, uh, all of our fundamental analysis and our uh, members webinars are recorded and are there for replay. Um, this last uh, month, we had one of the prominent fund managers in the space as a guest. Uh, we really dug into the fuel cycle. In previous months, we had Grant Isaac from Cameco. We had uh, Parajander from WMC. They're the buyers of spot material for SPUT. Um, a lot of wealth and value can be had in these recorded webinars, as well as in our previous newsletters from the past three years. So um, you can gain access to that with the quarterly membership. That's my sales pitch for right now. I will see you all again next week. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. I do appreciate all of you. If you haven't already, 
please subscribe to this channel, like this video, share it around, and uh, I will see you again very soon. Cheers.